0: Welcome to The Rock Bite, where we speak our truth, slay sacred cows, and sometimes agree to disagree. This is an outdoor podcast that aims for the head, and today on the show, journalist Kyle Frost has returned. And We're gonna run through kind of a grab bag of sorts from recent topics that come out of the outdoor industry. You know, a lot of podcasts take this week off, but we wanna make sure you have something to listen to when you head out for your post-Thanksgiving ride, run, ski, or climb. But before we get to that, if you could just take a quick second, just one quick second to hit that follow button, Wherever you are listening, maybe drive a, drop us a five-star review. It's actually working. It's kind of gross of me to ask. I realize that, but I really do appreciate it. And we here at The Rock Fight would be so thankful to receive that gift from you. But anyway, Kyle, welcome back to the show, man. Yeah, good to be back. You got any uh, Thanksgiving plans? Are you uh, are you going to go look for the Solo Stove Float on Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade? Did you hear they're having a float? I wonder if Stoop Dog's going to be on it. Uh,
1: I mean, I hope so. I so That's the, the best outdoor ad I have seen in a long time.
0: Um, I... Hall of Fame uh, of outdoor ads for me. Yeah, the shout out to the purple orange folks out of Jackson. Apparently, they're the ones who pulled that campaign together. I just think the I agree with you as far as outdoor campaigns. I get I cannot be more tired of here's our new outdoor campaign and like cue the acoustic guitar and like and and views of the mountains of the local mountain range wherever our company happens to be located. It's like no man go get Snoop Dogg like much better. Good job, Solo. was hilarious. I mean, I yeah. I saw I think I
1: saw like the teaser where he just said he was quitting smoke, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Like, well, of course I'm going to watch this. This is
0: just like news, <laughs>
1: um, and then it's for a fucking solo. So, so,
0: all right, so we got a couple things we're going to get through today. We're recording this on Tuesday, November 21st, and I wanted to bring this up because you've recently written about this. And but yesterday, REI released a statement that uh, was in response to the workers from eight different REIs who had recently accused REI of bad faith bargaining practices and union I'm quoting here by the way quote bad faith bargaining practices and unilateral workplace changes that show a pattern of egregious anti-union behavior emotional manipulation and retaliatory actions against workers such as firing changes to work schedules and disciplinary practices I mean it's pretty heavy I mean there's a lot going on with layoffs and labor issues at REI Again, you recently covered this for your newsletter. What, what can you tell us about what's actually happening at one of our most famous retailers?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, long story short, it's pretty complicated. Uh, I think, first off, you got to say pro-union. Like, unions are great. Uh, but what's happening at REI uh, kind of goes back about two-ish years. I believe it was the Soho uh, New York store that initially mm-hmm. started efforts to unionize. Uh, But a lot of it centers around uh, guaranteed hours, wage increases, uh, poor management uh, at certain stores and working conditions. Uh, So uh, eight stores so far have actually voted to unionize, although none of them have managed to negotiate uh, an actual union contract, which obviously it's been a while. I don't know. I, I saw some graph of how long it generally takes to negotiate these things. And it's not completely, I mean, it's not great that these things take this long, uh, but it's also not abnormal for them to take right. this long. There's. A, I had another another quote that someone reported schedules being so inconsistent that a part-timer might get 14 hours one week, then 24 hours the next, and four the following. Obviously, that's uh, kind of frustrating. And then more recently, there was a large layoff, uh, around 275 people, uh, mostly in like lead positions uh, within the stores uh, across the whole whole company, which uh, is a lot. They do employ something like 15,000 people or something like that. Enough to make an impact, but I mean, there's still a lot more people that work at REI. You know, I, I think at the core here, yes, REI is definitely playing in the, we don't want people to unionize. This is causing us a headache. We are, whether by the, you know, name of the, what's the, what's the uh, word I'm looking for? But by the letter of the law, whether they are truly union busting or not, it it seems clear that they're pushing buttons and slowing things down and not fans of of how this is developing. Uh, But on, on the other hand, I think there's, a lot of issues with how they're doing in general, performance-wise. Right. That a lot of this stuff has been leading to, um, including layoffs, just uh, increased competitiveness in the markets. Uh, and at the end of the day, they're, they're running a, uh, a retail business, um, and retail is hard. And you know, you're a se- you're seasonal retail, uh, and that means a lot more flux with uh, with hours with staff. Uh, with sales and and that kind of thing, so I think the bigger question is is like where is REI at as a company, like success and
0: profitability wise. <laughs> no, it's that's a really important thing I think to say. Like, look, I'm I'm again I'm pro union as well. I think like there's been this has been 2023 so far has been seemingly the year of the union between what's happened in Hollywood and De- and in Detroit. You know, I don't, I don't work in any of the eight stores that have unionized, so I can't speak specifically to why they would or should. I say my background in working at companies and brands is that, you know, this, this is just the result of a capitalist, you know, system. Sometimes you have, you know, if profits aren't there and you're losing money, which it seems like every other day, there's another headline coming out of the outdoor industry about brands or companies that are losing money. And guess what usually follows? Like well, we can't pay people. Like we, uh, we we do layoffs. That's kind of what happens. However, I I I find it really hard to root for REI, and I don't really know. I don't know if this is related or if this is just me getting on my soapbox. I've never been a fan. I don't really know why. It's just <laughs> That's like
1: kind of surprising. I feel like everyone has been a fan at
0: some point, or like well, they attribute a lot of their. There's a lot
1: of people that attribute a lot of their early experiences with the yeah. outdoors with going to REI, talking to, uh, you know, a a staff member, a very educated staff member, uh, and learning about what tent they need or what, you know, uh, sleeping bag they need for various activities and that kind of thing. And a lot of people, when you're asked them about this, that's how they talk about how REI used to be. And a lot of people are like, Oh, like last time I went in, they were just like, not as educated anymore and it's like college kids or um you know I'm not getting the same level of experience that I'm used to but i mean those those same people are also shopping online and you know this is the reason why you're getting lower paid staff members or more seasonal staff is because they're trying to make margins and you know cut cut things where they can
0: right yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely not being fair. I'm going to fully cop to that. I am not being fair when I say what I say about REI. I think that what you just described has been my experience as well. Although I, so I was a tech rep early in my career in the Northeast where we had Eastern Mountain Sports and Eastern Mountain Sports was always just such a, it was a chain, but every store felt like a specialty dealer. Like it mm-hmm. really, you went in and it was like, oh, where are you going? I'm going to this mountain. Oh, have you hiked this trail? I know about it. Here's what I took on my last trip. And the REI experience was more like, hey, that base layer is great. You know, I wore it riding around on my motorcycle last weekend, you know, and it just felt yep. a little less kind of core. And I know the core thing is definitely over. That's old crusty guy, old Gen X crusty guy over here. <laughs> I understand that. <laughs> but it just it feels like that's proliferated. Um, but I but I also can't not be sympathetic because, yeah, you're exactly right. You know, the, the things things have changed. Um, people are shopping in different ways. It's, you know, we're coming out of a an era of, you know, inventory issues and people, you know, having all sorts of choices about where to buy stuff and brands, you know, brands and retailers saddled with too much stuff. um You know, I, the complaint about, you know, your schedule as a part-timer, that just sounds like being a part-time retailer to me. Like, I'm working at a retail store. Like, yeah, some weeks we got 20 hours for you and other weeks we have eight. That sounds kind of like the way it typically goes. However you know, REI, not without its troubles and other things too. I mean, you know, the, the opt outside, side, which gets a lot of great press, you know, you find out, well, actually they're pretty profitable in those days when they do out, opt outside. So they kind of, it's hard for me just to really dig in and be like, well, REI is just such a great representative of the outdoor space and industry that I'm just like, I'm kind of on board with them. And I kind of lean probably towards these folks at these eight different stores.
1: Yeah, and I think that that's going to continue to be a problem with them because there's going to be, my... Assumption is there's going to be a little bit of a snowball effect here because they yeah. have such a progressive reputation that they've built a lot of goodwill on over the years that as the cracks, like, I don't think that they're any less progressive. I think that that they're because these cracks are starting to show with that kind of stuff with like, yeah. oh, people are going to see a headline about REI union busting and like, oh, they're not as like progressive as they say they are or as they want to be. But if you... Like, people are like, oh, we're going to boycott REI. I'm like, that's just going to continue the problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you stop shopping at REI, like, yeah. they're going to be less profitable than they were last year, which they lost, I think, 90, $92 million last year. No, um, and you're
0: right. And if I, had, if I couldn't go to a specialty retailer... I would definitely go at REI. If I had to get a job tomorrow at a retailer and someone said go work at REI, I'd be like, all right, I'll go work at REI. I'd rather work there than Dicks, you know. Like it's so it's it's a weird thing. It's an interesting position. I don't know if they've just been around for so long that they've sort of bridged that gap from what they were essentially kind of the industry and the community at one point, right? Because they were a co-op.
1: Yeah, they were co op and they were really. I mean, I grew up in Southern California and they were like almost the only option. Like, there yeah. was nothing else. Hey,
0: man, A16. Yeah, there was A16,
1: <laughs> although A16 died like pretty early. That didn't last yeah. too long. Um, and I think part of the problem is that for a long time, REI sold a premium product that wasn't necessarily the gear itself, but was the experience. And like, it was high pay, highly paid employees that were ve- very educated, that were going to knew everything about everything. And yeah. you went there because you didn't know, you know, what you needed. And for a couple of reasons. One, I'm sure profit margins mean, you know, we're going to start paying employees less and moving towards more part-time workers. But also, my hypothesis is, and this may be not be correct, but that people are more educated than ever. Like there's more resources for for me to make those decisions about what sleeping bag to buy, about what tent to get um, without needing to go talk to an REI employee. I mean, there's YouTube. I mean, people are coming in like, you know, I, there's 50 million listicles on, you know, which (laughs) things to buy. And, you know, 15 years ago that did not exist. um, you know, I, I can go watch a YouTube video of someone that just, you know, hiked the PCT or did the John Muir Trail and get a whole list of
0: exactly what- they, Here's what I wore. Yeah. It's definitely a very privileged position that I'm speaking from. Uh, you know, I think REI largely important to the industry. I think even mm-hmm. specialty dealers, they would say they would like a world without an REI. I don't know if they would really mean it. I think it's, um you know, you can, maybe there, maybe this leads to some- you know, reduction in store count or something like that. But they kind of find like the balance of where REI should be. This is maybe growth. But I mean, everybody's dealing with some of these issues right now.
1: Yeah. And I think you're also seeing it in the type of stock that an REI store carries. Uh, A lot of people Mm. have expressed some discontent that, you know, REI feels less like a specialty retailer anymore because they're carrying more athleisure, more running uh, and, and that kind of stuff. And, you know, maybe they've cut the climbing they've cut, you know, most stores don't, aren't carrying, you know, m- mountaineering stuff and, and that kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. But you know, that athleisure, that running, those are like repeat purchases that people are coming in for all the time. Um, and cater to a much wider audience than a lot of the specialty, uh, you know, climbing and, and that, and that sort of thing. And that has to be, uh, profitability thing because if you know if you can widen your customer base by you know increasing the percentage of the store that caters to those types of people um you know you can make more profit per
0: store so the rei conversation is probably a good segue into another story that came out last week about another big outdoor retailer i put up a pod about this last week but i was excited to kind of get your two cents on it because i know this is something you've talked about a little bit in the past so backcountry.com made some uh, waves at outdoor retailer in Salt Lake City last week about taking their in-house line out to market to get some items placed wholesale which basically means they're selling their in-house stuff to their competitors. They wanted they want to expand their offering to the to the public through their competitors. So you became familiar with Backcountry during that period a few years ago and I got to regret not bringing this up on my podcast last week about this, but the they were going through a whole period where they were enforcing their patent um which the name Backcountry a few years ago and upsetting a bit of the outdoor retail uh apple cart, if you will. So have you kept tabs on them since that?
1: I mean, not really to be honest. Like that was a big hullabaloo in I think 2019 uh yeah. when you know basically they sued uh a couple of small companies for infringement on their trademark of Backcountry as it relates to apparel and food and um if I remember correctly, the, the trademark was fairly broad, but mostly tied to her, like goods and apparel and stuff. Um, and in general, it was just handled really poorly. Like <laughs> it, you know, yeah, you got to enforce the trademark. That's how trademarks work. But you know, it was like Marquette Backcountry. It was like these are. Uh, I mean, I, I had a friend that was affected by it. Had who had like a a nitro coffee company called Backcountry Nitro. Uh, and there were, I mean, there were a couple more, um, but it was like, guys, like, these are, these are tiny things. Like maybe you didn't need to do this. The prevailing discussion was that Backcountry had been bought by a private equity firm and now they were evil. And, uh, you know, that, that whole thing, which I think was, a, there's a, the whole boycott Backcountry movement, um, which I thought was a little bit overblown given that all your other favorite companies also sue people all the time for uh you know Patagonia yeah Patagonia sues people you for bet. using Patagonia in the name um you know North Face has uh trademarks on I think they I think they have Himalaya tra- trademarked um for like jackets or something and I think Sherpa as well um but I don't know there's like it, it's one of those business things that uh can turn into a PR nightmare if you do them poorly, and that's what happened to
0: right. <laughs> Well, and I, I bring it up because it's you know four years ago. Now, granted, we had the pandemic in between, but still, so the feels longer ago than it probably was. But now, you know, the, the people who were the most upset were the independent uh, retailers. Mm-hmm. You know, who kind of who saw this big competitor kind of kicking in the door and trying to like pick a fight with these much smaller entities, and. You get know, folks from like, like Wes Allen from Sunlight Sports in Wyoming, who, who I'll, I'll chatted a little bit about it, posted my, thank you, Wes, for listening and putting putting my podcast up and bringing that up again there. But, I, you know, and he brings it up, and I, and I said this on my podcast, I have a tough time looking at this move to bring their line out to wholesale as anything other than they're in some sort of financial distress. Because if you read the article, read what they're saying, they're saying that, you know, we want to take this especially dealers, to big box. You know, we just want to see what people have been asking for this. So, I don't know. Like, is it, do you do you get the sense that they are having some you know financial problems over at Backcountry? Because otherwise, why would you? I can't see any of these independent retailers like running to carry this line.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I don't know if they're in financial distress. Like the weird thing, like you asked if I'd kept tabs on them, and mm. part of the weird thing is like I don't feel like I've really heard about Backcountry in the last couple of years as like a key player, even though they obviously are. Uh, I mean, they opened a store here in Boulder that carries the Backcountry line and uh, Stoic, which is and an in, 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 in in-house brand now, and like a couple other things, like a you know a mishmash of of other things. But and, and recently, uh, it leaked in I think July that uh, the private equity firm that owns Backcountry was exploring a sale. Uh, the numbers there were. Around uh, I, th- I think a billion in revenue and mm. you know a possible valuation of, of you know several hundred million dollars. Wait, Backcountry is doing a billion dollars in revenue. That's I mean th- this was in Bloomberg as like an insider leak that you know they I mean, were. Is REI
0: doing a billion dollars in revenue?
1: I, I I'd have to look. I'm not sure. I, <laughs> I don't, I'd, I'd be surprised. Yeah. Um. And so. It's unclear. I mean, private equity firms are, are in the business to, you know, sure. buy cheap, cut some staff, you know, make some money, sell a couple years later. So we're like, we're, yeah. we're on that timeline. Um, I think they, they took over in 2015, I believe. So, you know, we're
0: eight, eight years later. Yeah, now. that's long, actually, for um, some PE places, right? That's yeah. a long time to be holding on to something.
1: But, I mean, I, I also totally agree with you that I it seems like a weird choice to try and wholesale to specialty retailers. And I don't really see why any retailers would want to do that. Um, you know, you don't see Amazon basics, you know, whether it's, let's say, uh, my Amazon basics, like cord or microphone, or I don't know, all the kinds of stuff you see being sold at Best Buy or, you know, that kind of stuff. Like it's direct competition. (laughs) Like they, they have the right to do that. Just <laughs> like REI has the right to, you know, have their own brand. Uh, but, but REI is not selling their brand to, you know, you know, sunlight sports. Like,
0: <laughs> yeah, I said on the episode last week, I feel like I, I get it. If there's, if, if let's say, you know, to your point, like, you know, if they're, they're not going to public, I said this also in the episode, they're not going to publicly be like, well, guys, we're really needing some, uh, we need a bump in cash. So we're going to, this is what we're doing. But. You know, it does feel to me like you know if you're gonna if you're going to do this, you know, number one, go to a big box chain. Why wouldn't go to go right to like a Bass Pro, Cabela's, Sports Chalet, sure, yeah. Walmart, whatever? Like just somebody who's like, yeah, all right, we'll carry Backcountry. We don't care. Yeah. To say you're going to go after specialty, which they did at OR last week. They OR Daily had an article that said that they wanted specialty retailers to carry it, and that's where I think where Wes was quoted. And then it's, but then, but then the reason they say that specialty retailers should consider it again, only 40 years after you kind of had a bit of a PR kerfuffle with these folks is to say that it's because of the heritage and the innovation of our products and brand. And I'm like, okay, first of all, the guys, the the folks who run these stores know about innovation and heritage better than you ever could. (laughs) (laughs) Secondly, you know, it's like you're full of shit because the innovation isn't, there hasn't been new material innovation in years. You're using all the same stuff as everybody else and that's fine and everybody does that. Every brand says we have innovation. I understand that. But you gotta. I, I would hope, maybe in the one-on-one meetings, they're being a little bit more forthcoming if they get a meeting with some of these specialty guys. But the whole thing is just really head scratching to me.
1: Yeah, like I, d- I don't see Backcountry, you know, pushing the boundaries on any of their their stuff. Like they, they, it they're, looks good. It looks good, but yeah. the line. I mean, they've grown the line a lot. I went into the store today in, in mm-hmm. Boulder to check it out, and but they're playing in you know, a like REI topo, like a little bit more stylish than REI topo designs but it's the same playbook. Like they're just right. taking stuff that's like works elsewhere. Uh, you know, the Adam LT, like, you know, that Arcteryx makes, everyone has a mm-hmm. copy of it. Backcountry has a copy of it. Yeah. And you know, they've got flannels and all types of jacket weights and, and, and that kind of stuff and they're They have the kind of casual mountain outdoor aesthetic, but you know, are they, pushing the boundaries of technology on anything like no like if i if i really want to get anything that's even remotely considering pushing the boundaries i'm going to go to rab or patagonia or or something like that that might be using crazy like recycled materials or
0: you know something i don't know like i'm not gonna go to backcountry <laughs> well that's So I was trying, you were talking, I was thinking about this, right? Because that's a good point. Another thing is they have nine stores, so significantly fewer than REI. So if you're going to sort of, again, goose the P&L or whatever, however you want to describe it, you know, this is a way to kind of do it. So why the big PR push? Because here's the other thing, and you kind of said it at the beginning, I haven't thought about backcountry for years, like from like 2005 range to like mid 2015, like Backcountry was kind of like the shit. Like I everybody wanted a goat sticker on their car. You everyone was it was so much cooler to buy from Backcountry than it was REI. It was yeah. cooler to get a Stoic piece than it was an REI piece. Like yeah. it was just that there was a cool element there. And then I until this article, I gotta be honest. I haven't thought of backcountry in a long time, and I kind of wondered as Evo supplanted them as sort of like the number three, like the cool retailer, like after REI or Dix or something like that. Part of part of my
1: issue is that I've just bought less stuff over the last several years, and that same uh, kind of cut into my awareness of you know who's the big the big bad in in uh, online retail. But like, who's <laughs> the Thanos of online yeah, retail? <laughs> And, and as a result, like when I do buy things, I, I tend to go d- direct a lot of the time um, to to the brand or or something like that. But I mean, it, it's a very interesting situation. And you, like like you said, I have to wonder if part of this is literally to just kind of get the brand more into the zeitgeist again. Um, you know, they've been growing stores, I you know, at a much smaller footprint than an REI or something like that. Mm-hmm. Because they're not carrying gear and that kind of thing. Um, but you, the, the, the word you're going to hear is is omni-channel and like, which is omni-channel marketing. And we got to hit, we got to hit our consumers at, like at, in retail, we get, they got to see us here. They got to see us there. They got to see us online. They got to see us on social. And, and like, that's the, really the only thing I can think of is that they're just Mm. trying to be more places, um, to be just visible more than they have been. Um, but I agree th- about your comment around being carried in, like, a Dick's or a Cabela's or, or something like that. Like, that that totally makes sense to me. Makes huge sense. Um, yeah. it, it does not make sense to me that I would see Backcountry in uh, a Neptune Mountaineering or a Bentgate right. or, or something like that. Like, who, who are they and, going to kick
0: out to put Backcountry what? in? Oh, could you imagine Can you imagine? I mean, just if I was one of these store owners, I'd just be laughing. And that's kind of, so it makes me do, they definitely have owned the news cycle. And here we are talking about them again, right? So it's I I wonder, there's a little bit of, look, there was a small footprint outdoor retailer. No one showed up. So let's just roll in. Let's cause a big stir. I actually reached out to their PR representatives. I sent them the episode to say, hey, if anybody over there, Colby Black or anybody who works there wants to come on and chat about it. Welcome to. They wrote back, said, thanks. We'll let you know. You know, uh, I hope they do. If they, everybody, I'll send them this episode, too. Like, hey, we're talking <laughs> about it again. Your your strategy's working, apparently. So maybe that was the whole point was to kind of we've been out of the zeitgeist for a while. Let's cause a stir and have people talking about us because uh, it's just it's it's really uh, a head scratcher. Last thing I want to talk about, we're kind of, the year's coming to a close. You know, um, you wrote some, about some really interesting things this year. I was thinking about what are the kind of, as we're heading towards 2024, what are the stories that are kind of lingering from this year or on the horizon for next year? Are you most interested in seeing how they played out? I wrote a few down, but why don't, uh what, what, what are the things that you're most interested in?
1: Um, I mean, there's a lot of stuff. I think for me, one of the things is whether snow sports can continue the, the, the kind of growth it's been on. Uh, had a huge year, uh, 2022, 2023, uh, but I think that there's kind of a lingering question of whether we're going to continue to have good snow years or whether that kind of stuff can sustain itself. Um, and that's always fun to watch with in terms of the battle between Altera and Vale and resorts and, and all that jazz. But
0: That's an interesting point. You, I, it almost would be better if California and Utah had a terrible snow year, because if they but both places have another good year and we get that false sense of security of like, Oh, we're back, baby. You know, like, and then the bottom drops out a
1: couple of years from now, like, Yeah. And I think like, like we've had some somewhat similar things that happened with biking and and COVID, uh, where there was just a huge bump Mm -hmm. and then people had overordered inventory and when it kind of happened with the whole outdoor industry, but, uh, sure, but, yeah I'll be interesting to see whether whether snow sports can continue that uh other than that i think uh when I mean, we talked about rei I think that you know retail the state of retail is just an interesting one and then also i think uh you know following the the news this week the uh, about uh the outdoor recreation industry being one point one trillion dollar uh contribution to you know GDP or you know whatever it is, um, right? That that number is pretty complicated because
0: I think it incredibly it, complicated.
1: It, uh, I mean, we could probably do a whole episode on that because seriously, that number includes a lot of things that most people don't in, like typically associate with the outdoor pogo industry. sticks, uh, pogo sticks. <laughs> you know, golf. Like, can uh, you do it outside? It's um, in the number. Amusement <laughs> parks, like all of the, di- di- like right, Disney,
0: Disney, is in that number. So. Uh, I like, might go mountain biking this weekend. Might go to Disneyland. Either way, I'm yeah. contributing to the outdoor economy. Yeah, like I've been working. I,
1: I typically do like a little review of these these kinds of numbers, and you know, most people. I mean, I'm generalizing here, but a lot of people tend to associate like camping, hiking, backpacking, climbing, biking, as like the core outdoor industry. Um, but like, they don't even make the top five. Uh, right, of, you know, it's RVing, ATVing, boats, hunting, fishing, um equestrian is mm-hmm. higher than than camping and and all like all of that. Camping, hiking, climbing is all one thing, and it's still like sixth or seventh in the act like the activity list. That
0: said, though, one point I tr- that's the first thing I think that oh, that's crossed a trillion dollars, first though, right? Yeah, a trillion it's yeah. still incredible. Yeah.
1: The industry is massive, and I guess to finish my my thought uh, was the growth of. Uh, like outdoor recreation offices and whether more states adopt that and, and whether we need one at uh, at a federal level.
0: Yeah, the state and federal economy, the growth of the outdoor economy conferences, this is something I really want to dig into because I think it's an opportunity or, or at least a topic that is not getting the attention it deserves, right? And I, I got a lot of feedback and I want to do an episode on this coming up soon about when Sean Smith from Outdoor Retailer came on the show. And definitely like, uh, the the end a few re, especially retailers who I know or some and some I didn't who reached out with concerns about the show uh, I have some branch some agency sales reps who I used to work with who reached out and you know I think largely I like what Sean had to say I still think that everyone's kind of Everyone's still very much in their own silos about like what a national trade show is mm-hmm. and how it's important to get everybody together to talk about, you know, the the, the economic impact, the one that number would be what a topic to talk about, you know, with everybody in a room. But then I was chatting with Drew Simmons, who's a PR guy in Vermont, uh, and has been heavily involved in local the local outdoor economy conferences. And every state has a local outdoor economy mm-hmm. conference that, that that talks about how. The outdoor economy impacts their individual states. And at those places, you have all the decision makers. You have local trail advocacies. You have politicians. You have folks from, you know, uh, folks from brands. Yeah. And to me, like, that is, that's where we are. The trade show... Isn't that interesting? Because it's just the world we have now. It's not like 30 years ago, again, it was much more interesting. You had new brands creating new things, new technologies. All of that is status quo at this point. Mm -hmm. So the conversation is truly about around for me, and I think it should be for everybody around, how do we do better? How do we leverage the money we have? How do we increase access and clean up our, you know, how we're making things? And those seem to me to be the places where those opportunities are gonna exist.
1: Yeah, and I would love more states to adopt. Like Colorado has an outdoor recreation office, like at, yep. at the state level. Um, it would be great to see more states adopt that. It would be great to see something like that at the federal level. I mean, obviously, 1.1 trillion, but out- outpacing other other industry growth. Getting those kinds of stakeholders and, and having re- like the really complex, interesting conversations across those different industries, and you know let's get the RV people and the hiking people in the same room. Like the yep. RV people aren't at outdoor retailer. Like, <laughs>
0: um, the no. ATV people no, aren't and, outdoor and, retailer and like, and how do we get, you know, I mean, even within our human power world, right. We still have the, the wilderness people who don't want mountain bikers who honestly would like kick everybody out. Like you can't even hike here if you gave them that choice. Right. You know, yeah. it's like, so how do we have those conversations that, you know, and it's, and then if they're all happening, any place that has one of these, you know, offices like Colorado, California, Oregon, Vermont, and these are the ones off the top of my head that I know, North Carolina, they have their individual conference. And maybe you get some draw from neighboring states, but it's like, well, if we're talking about a national trade show, it's like, well, how do we make a national economic conference, right? That's ultimately, that would be that there's the gathering of the tribe that we really want, that we don't know that we want.
1: That's an interesting conversation.
0: Yeah, I think that's going to be a huge focus for next year for sure. Especially from this show, I think you're going to see it grow. You know, I, I'm all, all the things you mentioned. You know, I'm definitely curious to see how outdoor media evolves. Uh, and then, obviously, you know our 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 pet project of the Outside Festival. Uh, we, you know will it actually happen? Very excited. Yeah. I'm so excited. I, anytime, I want news. Come on, Outside. You've been holding back. So let's get what's going on with the
1: festival. I think their their deadline their deadline for. Uh... Like applications or like correspondence around sponsorship was like early December, so I don't know. Maybe by mid December we'll we'll find something out. Or
0: I mean, I'm I'm teasing them, but it plays into the trade. It, it, all of these things, right? It's like everybody kind of missing the point of what we actually want. Everyone's like, we want to get everybody together and talk about business, or we want to get everybody together and watch a band. It's like no, like. Let's evolve the outdoor space <laughs> to talk about things that actually matter and everybody's role. That's actually what we should be doing.
1: Yeah, and there's space for everything, right? Like, they're totally that's is. kind of the point. You know, there there's space for people that want to watch music and and go to a climbing wall yeah. and watch Doc dogs, and there's also space for us to have really complicated conversations about the balance between conservation and tourism. Um, yeah, not necessarily the same place,
0: but. <laughs> And wilderness, get comfortable with the RVers. They do a lot for us, all right? Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> more than more than people would
0: probably like. <laughs> yeah, right. All right, man, we'll wrap it up there. Thanks again for coming on. We'll uh, hopefully see you in a week or so. Yeah, sounds great. Always happy to be here. All right, that's our show for today. Thanks to Kyle Frost for, again, coming on with some amazing insight into the outdoor industry. Send your feedback to this conversation or anything we cover here on The Rock Fight to myrockfight at gmail.com. I'm hoping to get you a Black Friday episode this week as well, but until then, a very happy Thanksgiving to you, the amazing audience we've built. This show is not even a year old yet, and the support you've offered is nothing short of astounding. On this Thanksgiving, I'm giving my thanks to you. The Rock Fight is a production of Rock Fight LLC. I'm Colin True, and here to take us out is my man and yours, Krista Makes, with the Rock Fight Fight Song. We'll see you next time.